Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today we have a pretty special episode. As you know, I've been a part of a userless team for almost two years, and today we have the entire team on the line for a Q&A episode. So we have Claire Salentrop, who's our marketing wizard, and we have Benedict Dyke, who is responsible for engineering and uh, yours truly doing the design and also some marketing. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto offers modern, easy payroll and benefits to small businesses across the US. And if you want your business to be all set up by 2020, you don't want to wait. Sign up today at gusto.com slash UI breakfast and get three months free when you run your first payroll. So, Claire, Benedict, hello. Hi, Jane. Hi, everyone. Hello. Oh, thank you both for joining. It's not like our first time talking here, but it's great to have you on The Wire for, for their podcast today. It's, as always, a pleasure to be on your show. Yes, uh, for the starters, I would love to mention that both Claire and Benedict have been here, so we're going to link to uh, the corresponding episodes in the show notes. UserList launched uh, about a month ago, uh, August 6th, and uh, Benedict, how did the launch go? What's your impression of how, how we did it? My impression is we did really well, <laughs> at least from judging from previous experiences launching products, this one went really, really well. We made product number one on product hunt, uh, product of the day on product hunt that day, uh, which is super exciting. I, I did not expect that. And we got a lot of um, very positive feedback throughout um, all the channels, like on, on product hunt and Twitter and through communities. And it was really exciting. Signups wise, uh, we didn't expect much. So it was okay. I think we got a handful of new customers or at least new trials. I think none of the customers from the first day actually converted, but I think that's not really a problem because like uh, people that signed up in the days after were much more qualified, I think, and uh, some of those already converted. So I I'm pretty happy with the launch. Claire, uh, would you mind sharing how did we plan for the launch? So we, we have a blog post up on our blog, but uh, would you mind giving us an overview of the strategy? Because we had like some uh, brain power behind that <laughs> and we had some thinking what exactly we should launch actually on that day. Definitely. Benedict mentioned something um, that's really useful in the discussion of how we planned for this. So in terms of, you know, a spike in signups, we did see more signups than we ever have, but it wasn't as if we saw um, you know, massive, massive increase in signups. And the reason we were fine with that for those listening and, and wondering, you know, why would you count it as a successful launch if you didn't see a huge influx of new customers is user list is not the type of product that someone purchases as an impulse, right? You have to be at a very certain point in your business um, to be ready to use something like our product. So, um, Launching on Product Hunt and that success um, is is very different than launching something like I, I like to use the example of like you know launching a line of new sunglasses or something. It's very easy for anyone to purchase. <laughs> so, so so with that in mind, the the way that we started planning the launch was by um, deciding like what is the end goal here, um, and 
we had kind of two audiences, so to speak, um, who we saw as um, who we saw as achieving different goals, or we have we had audiences that we wanted them to do two different things. So there were people who already knew about user list. Um, so that's people on our mailing list, people generally in our community, and we wanted those people essentially to just become aware that hey, we are a legitimate product, and um, you can you can reliably use us. Um, and then there were, uh, then the other goal was driving new traffic or making new people aware of us in a way that they hadn't been before. Um, so this might be, ex- you know, contacts of, of people in our existing community, people who hang out on product hunt, uh, and so on and so forth. And again, we didn't expect that massive numbers of those people would become new customers right away, but we at least wanted them to find out about us so they could become aware of the tool keep it in mind until it's time for them to sign up for something like us, maybe join our mailing list, um, sign up for a trial just to just to understand what we're about. Um, so with those two goals in mind, we then um, could start thinking through, all right, what, what are the channels and platforms at our disposal that we can use to accomplish these goals? And so um, I brought a, <laughs> I brought this um, document that I've, I've, used and has been updated time and again um, that I I typically employ when it's time to plan the launch of a product or a new feature or something significant. And essentially, that document is split into two categories, channels that we can completely control, and then channels where we need other people's trust and credibility and support in order um, to uh, be successful in those channels. So channels owned by us are things like um, sending an, an email to our existing list of marketing subscribers or our existing customers, um, creating a blog post, which which we did, uh, posting on our own social media platforms, and so on and so forth. And then the channels where we need to earn others' trust and credibility would be things like, uh, well, Product Hunt we chose as our as our main platform, um, but if it's relevant. That document also includes things like niche Facebook groups and Slack channels and other communities relevant to your audience. Um, I, it is useful to, I think it's, it's important to note that a, a successful launch doesn't have to be massive. So um, Jane and Benedict, as I'm sure you'll remember, we actually removed quite a bit, quite a couple of the options within the possible earned channels we could have spent time um, in, right? Uh, we kind of boiled it down to where do people most likely to use user list hang out? Um, and where can we make the greatest impact without just, just overwhelming ourselves on the day of launch? So, um, we, that's, so that's what led us to choose product hunt. It's what led us to also ignore things like, you know, LinkedIn. Uh, we, I think, you know, Benedict, I think you made one LinkedIn post that then I reshared or something, <laughs> but primarily our, our user, our users don't hang out there. And so, our strategy came down to where's our where does our audience already spend their time, and then how do we make a big impact there? Um, so, those were how we chose um, what what we wanted to accomplish from the launch, and then where we wanted to promote our launch. Um, and then you were right, Jane. We had to make a couple of decisions. So, um, for example, should we set up a lead magnet or not um, in order to once new user, new people become aware of us, like in order to attract them, if they're not ready to try the product. Ultimately, we decided against including, um, against launching any kind of lead magnet, because we felt that um, we, we felt that 
it would be a little bit confusing uh, between between promoting the lead magnet and promoting the fact that our our product itself was live. Um, and we also already had a series of of worksheets uh, available as a lead magnet kind of living on our website. So um, we decided not to make additional content in order to support this launch, um, which then led us to, okay, what is what what are all the activities um, that we need to partake in or that we need to complete in order to be ready for a big influx of traffic? Um, so we can't, that came down to making a big list of, of where our, um, where there were gaps in the experience that someone might have when visiting userlist.io for the first time. Um, so we did things like, uh, Jane, you created a beautiful demo video for the product that we could share on product hunt. And then also on our website, um, we reviewed our pricing to make sure we were happy with its structure before driving a bunch of traffic. Um, we created a personal welcome video uh, for for new users who wanted to sign up for a trial. We wrote the blog post um, describing our launch strategy. Uh, essentially, and and I'm sure Jane, you'll link to that that launch strategy post within the show notes. Um, but we made a big to do list, basically, right? Uh, <laughs> and then we divided and conquered, and we set a date by which we thought we could complete all of those items. Um, as well as a series of tasks on the day of the launch, right? So um, go live on Product Hunt, uh, publish our announcement blog post, tweet the announcement, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm staying relatively high level because we did go into such great detail in our post. Um, but what I'm really proud of about that launch is how much care we took at every single step. Um, where oftentimes you see a company um, launch a product on Product Hunt, assuming that that will build, you know, that, we, that the launch itself will build trust and credibility. And um, I think what worked so well for us and the reason that our launch was so successful was that we have already spent, you know, two years building credibility ahead of time and, um, you know, putting so much of ourselves out there. And I think that that level of transparency was what made so many people so willing to support us on launch day and get us to that number one spot, which to the point you made, Benedict, um, is also the most successful product launch I've ever been a part of as well. I've I've launched a couple of items on Product Hunt before and they've done nicely, but I've never I've never launched something that stayed at the number one spot um, and and was the you know the featured product of the day all day long. That was really exciting. Thank you for such detailed recap, Claire. That's definitely very exhausting, almost like launch guide. I wish we could talk more about launch, but we have a number of questions from our peers and uh, supporters that will help us guide through, through today's interview. And we decided to take turns uh, asking and answering those questions <laughs> <laughs> so that it's, you know, more dynamic discussion, more alike than questioning me questioning both of you. And so, Benedict, would you like to take over the mic now with our first question? Absolutely. So the first question is from Azar from UserPilot. And he's basically asking about the backstory, like how did UserList come to life? Why did we decide to, to build a product like this? And why did we think that now is a good time to do this? And Jane, as you basically spearheaded the idea of doing this, um, why don't you answer it? 
Thank you, Benedict. Userlist was started about two years ago in the fall of 2017 that we got together. And originally, uh, it was actually addressing a pain that I had with my previous uh, SaaS product called Tiny Reminder. And as a non-technical founder, I had a lot of pains being unanswered by uh, existing products back then. So one of the pains was user management. The other was uh, sending um, behavior-based uh, messages to the users. Like um, very few available products offered that. And Intercom was definitely like number one and almost the only existing option, which was very expensive at that time. Uh, so uh, when Tiny Reminder was about to get sold um, and there was a number of mistakes with that product we can get a, go on there for a long time uh, then that idea of uh, building something uh, something else something more serious started percolating immediately and that was time when uh, Benedict was number one on my list of technical co-founders and Claire was number one on my <laughs> list of potential mar potential marketing people who we could invite. And I'm one super lucky person that at that time they, um, you, you know, reviewed this idea and said yes. So that's when it all started. And we have uh, in our userless blog, we have a number of blog posts about how that got rolling. We have a blog post called The Store of Userlist Inc., which goes into all these details of how we incorporated being based in United States, uh, Germany, and Russia, which sounds a little bit like an anecdote, but <laughs> it's not so funny when you try to really incorporate that and open up bank account and stuff like that. So that's where we are today, a very international team of three co-founders. Uh, uh, and what we share is our vision for this product, which is high quality, pragmatic piece of software, which is not enterprisey. So it, it can fit early stage founders. It can fit middle-sized SaaS businesses who are, you know, watching their budget and they would love to do something on their own without having to hire an entire marketing team because any business would need a customer messaging but not every business can afford a marketing team write it for them so our mission there is to provide a quality tool provide resources and uh, i'm really really happy about the kind of product quality that we can achieve together with benedict being such a great engineering mind and claire providing us such great marketing advice so uh, thank you so much for <laughs> being out there and uh, joining me in that mission two years ago thanks for bringing us along <laughs> thanks for inviting us i guess <laughs> I think it would make sense, like Benedict and Claire, would you mind sharing why you actually said yes um, that while ago? Uh. Sure. Claire, why don't you go first? Oh, <laughs> okay. What I found really appealing, um, well, I should back up. I, I received this this outreach from you, Jane, and was um, very excited to to have been invited. And I was what primarily had me so excited was that I had a sense that as people, we had a shared vision for what we wanted a company to look like. Um, so initially, you know, my interest came um, less from seeing the product as uh, this particular, like, you know, crazy innovation, um, and more from the fact that this, that you and then Benedict, once I met you, um, that you both were people who had a similar um we, we wanted to take the overall project in a similar direction. Um, so it was more about what can the three of us, uh, what, what kind of business and lifestyle can the three of us build together rather than, um, you know, wow, this like, 
it, it, it wasn't as if uh, we were we were trying to create demand for a product that never that that had no category, right? Customer messaging tools exist. There are many of them on the market, um, and so what really appealed to me and and got me excited to collaborate with the two of you um, is that when we when we first started having conversations about you know starting user lists together, we talked a lot about what would you like this business to look like five, 10, 15 years from now? And what do you want the day-to-day of working on it to look like? And um, we just, we had so many good conversations about the style of running a company that I felt really aligned with the two of you on that, um, which I believe, I, I would argue is much harder to find than a cool idea. Um, ideas are to use a, a silly phrase, but ideas are a bit of a dime a dozen, like anyone can have an interesting idea. Um, and so it was really more you as people that made me, uh, that made me super excited to jump on board because I figured even if we had to update, you know, change our idea as we go, or um, even if the product itself evolves over time, which they all do, um, the teammates I was on board with, um, we had a really good chemistry that I trusted in. Thanks so much, Claire. Actually, we do have company values and uh, published on the website. And team first is one of the values up there because, as just as you mentioned, we can be fascinated with the vision, but that comes and goes, and the team kind of remains. So people always come first before before the product, even though there are many more variables. What about you, Benedict? It was easy to convince me to join because I enjoyed working with you on uh, Tiny Reminder. And I, I mean, I was basically in the first row when you had this trouble looking at finding a tool that does this this job. So, um, yeah, it was an easy choice to decide to to just build that tool. Um, and it was an interesting challenge uh, from the technical side. And as Claire mentioned, I, I really enjoyed that we are sharing sharing the same vision for the company we want to build. And in the end, yeah, that just made me excited and. Uh, uh, wanted me to 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 be part of it. Yeah, and if if only we knew it's not going to be that fast. I think our original like <laughs> vanity plan was to get up to speed in half a year and like five five k MRR <laughs> something along those lines. And uh, <laughs> this was like like definitely not so. We are still not there. It's two years, but uh, <laughs> it's been a great journey nonetheless. Yeah, and I I think what's what's also important to mention there is. That we, I think we were all on the same page in terms of we want to do this on the side and not make this like uh, a full time commitment for all of us and uh, basically burning through our bank accounts to make this work. And I think, yeah, initially I thought it would be quicker, but then again, balancing all of it, yeah, it just took some time. Yeah, and mostly it has to do with a lot of decisions. Uh, like making it on the side sounds bad, but in fact, it means that we can take wiser decisions and a long-term game as opposed to like the necessity to grow because we depleted our bank accounts and we have to rush and uh, get crazy in terms of customer acquisition, right? Yeah. One question that always comes uh, to mind, and especially with the launch, uh, that we've got a lot of investors reaching out to us and asking about opportunities. So, Benedict, please share our collective view on why we're we're not taking investment. 
Yeah, I think we we discussed it a couple of times, especially in the light of doing this on the side and then basically thinking, yeah, maybe we should do this like full time and have more time to be able to to ship it quicker. So the topic came up a couple of times and I'm pretty sure it will in the future. Um, and I remember this one, uh, this one time where we actually made a, a list of pros and cons about taking on outside investment. And I, if I remember correctly, it had more pros than cons, but mm -hmm. none of us <laughs> felt uh, comfortable of taking on outside investment, mostly because like the implied uh, pressure. And um, I think that was one of the reasons why we, we then decided to not pursue this uh, direction of finding someone who would invest in our company, especially like for me personally, one of the reasons why I didn't really like the idea was that I had no idea what to do with that money um, other than like <laughs> paying ourselves. I, I wouldn't have done, I think I struggled finding a good reason to take the money and then spend it on something because I wouldn't know on what to spend it. Like, would I do anything different with more money in the bank? Probably not. So that made it, at least for me, kind of easy to go without outside investment. Benedict, would you like to take up the next question? Sure. This one is from Tristan of Holding Bay. And uh, he's asking, how long did it take us uh, to practice a good telling of our story? <laughs> well, I, I can jump in on that one. I think the first, the first, the shorter answer to that question is telling your story is an ongoing, ever-changing process. And the reason for that is where your product and company are uh, change, of course, over time. Um, and so the story needs to adapt to that. Additionally, the market is always changing, right? So there's new competition. Um, the types of customers you might want to go after could change over time. Um, and so the story you tell to correctly position yourself to the people you, you want um, to find your product desirable is, is constantly up, being updated. When we started out, we were, Jane, what were we describing the product as? Uh, behavior-based email? Uh, behavior-based, lightweight, behavior-based uh, email automation for SaaS. Right. Post-sign-up. It was horrible. Post-sign-up never worked. <laughs> Post-sign-up post sign was so ineffective. We, even though the product is specifically designed to send messages, uh, send communications to users of your SaaS tool, we kept getting compared to marketing automation tools. Um, so in other words, tools that are meant to uh, send messages to people who may or may not be using your product yet, um, or who, who, or a marketing automation tool doesn't even, isn't even necessary. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A marketing automation tool can be used in many types of businesses. It's not SaaS specific. Um, so we were being compared to these products that Really, uh, we weren't on it. We, we had, we didn't have near as robust of a feature set because we didn't need that feature set. We needed something else. And so it was a couple of months ago that, um, someone in my universe, April Dunford, uh, who's had a long, um, long career in SaaS, um, launched her book called Obviously Awesome. And it was a book on how to position your product and make it, make its, its benefits and, and what, what's great about it more obvious to your audience. Um, so I read that and immediately thought, okay, this is, this is exactly what userless needs because 
we have a really strong tool. Um, when new trial users or uh, new customers come on board, um, they get it. There are, there are certain, you know, absolute champions within our customer base who tweet about us and have sent really, really, you know, wonderful emails letting us know that it, it's, it's made their lives easier. But we were clearly failing to convey whatever it was that was so great to those people, uh, to the rest of the world. So I, um, I shared this book with Jane and Benedict and really Jane, I, I would love for you to um, chime in on this if you feel so inclined, because you, I, I mean, you, you did the bulk of the work here. Um, but reading through that book and Jane, you going through each ex exercise forced us to kind of, to think more strategically about which tools we were comparing ourselves to um, and what market category we were in. So um, we ended up shifting away from describing ourselves as, as email at all, even though we do send emails um, and we have, we have since started describing ourselves as a, um, customer communication tool, um, which immediately helps people understand that we are not marketing emails. Uh, and again, Jane, please feel free to kind of fill in the gaps where I'm, where I'm leaving details, but that has really been transformative in terms of helping people quickly, like get Y user list versus X. Yeah, I'm not going to elaborate more because first, all the details are very well described in the blog post that we'll link to. And uh, second, because April Dunford herself is uh, coming up as a guest on this show Yay. a couple episodes <laughs> later. So you you will have an opportunity to listen to her uh, method uh, details like in all elaboration possible. So let's leave that as is. The next question we have from Tristan is, how do you choose when to sunset and add features? And I, I would love to pass this question on to Benedict, and he could maybe tell us what we have uh, in mind for feature management for the product. We basically, whenever we get a feature request, we, of course, add them to our, our list of, of features. We basically have two boards in our project management tool. One is just feature ideas. I think they're roughly sorted in easy features, uh, simple features, um, and then super crazy stuff that we'll probably never build, but uh, it's worth uh, writing them down so we can <laughs> remember them in the future. And uh, then features that are probably going into the product at some point. And whenever we get feature requests from users, uh, we add them to those to this board. Usually it's already on the board, so we just make a note that this and this person requested it. And then from time to time, we go into that board and prioritize, basically pick those features that we think we should build next and uh, then prioritize in, in which order we are working on those. So far, we hadn't ha didn't have the need to sunset features. I think we did not remove anything up to now. But um, I think eventually this will happen. Not sure how we, how we will decide when to do it and, and what to do there in the future. I'm not sure if it's entirely clear. So one board is for feature ideas sorted into different categories. And once the most realistic ones get carried over to the second Kanban board, basically planned, uh, doing, done, et cetera, et cetera. More of an actual development board. Yeah, this one, one is the, the crazy ideas board, more or less. And the other one is the actually working on stuff board. Um, <laughs> I think at some point we started splitting the two because the... Uh, like having it all in one was just too overwhelming. There was just too much going on in that board. And 
like uh, product development felt a bit intimidating with the ever-growing list of feature ideas <coughs> so we decided to <laughs> to split those and then just like um don't even like don't even try to flesh out the ideas in 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 detail but just like record a rough idea of what this could be and only flesh it out into more details once we get it into development yeah and when we prioritize the features we we think about what so when the product wasn't completely ready it would be like is this a feature showstopper for our existing customers or can they exist without it so that was like a filter for a while and now as we're feature sort of feature ready for anything we built we opt out for the simplest execution and then we just watch and see how it works and what kind of feedback we get so far that kind of gained complexity has been working out well for us yeah so far it worked very well and our like competitive advantage is keeping things simple. So we're quite strict about all of that, about bringing on new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Tristan's last question was with a focus on onboarding, like as a product, uh, do you have to pay more time and attention to your own onboarding or does that become the easy part, so to speak? Oh my God. <laughs> no, uh, for, for a product like ours, onboarding is like, it's even harder than for a lot of our clients, I think, because we've settled uh, on a very challenging journey. Userlist being a business essential tool, getting up to speed with that requires multiple activities. Uh, well, we do have, of course, a pretty fast segment integration, but yet, even with that, people have to come in, uh, get the user data flowing in. They have to think through their strategy decide what to track, decide how to onboard the users. And that's never easy. So we have been working for almost a year on creating different materials to facilitate and educate and help. So we have worksheets and Claire has put together great templates for campaigns. And we have, uh, we have help on all uh, stages of that. But there is definitely like, you know, the classic like five steps to your aha moment. We don't have that or our steps are like <laughs> three months long. So we're still uh, struggling how to figure that out one out. However, we do dog food a lot. So we do have an onboarding sequence in the user list, which is behavior based and it filters out unnecessary messages. So we're hoping that our sleek and short yet very informative uh, onboarding helps somehow. But the typical observation is that um, it's a lot about inspiration rather than lack of uh, education. Therefore, we, st we strive to inspire more than we strive to educate. So education is kind of in the second line. And you can take a horse water, but you can't really make them drink as much as we would love to. We have definitely learned that. <laughs> so, and we could probably talk for another two hours how we are struggling with with that, as, like any other SaaS business. The next question is more around. Well, actually, it it, it does continue in terms of uh, prioritizing feature uh, choices, but um, the next one is is more around feedback. Um, so, uh, let's see. So maybe Benedict can can chime in with this one. Um, how are we managing? product feedback from customers, from potential customers, and even from people who have churned. 
Um, so the real question here is, are there any processes we use or do you have thoughts around the best way to do that, Benedict? So we collect feedback, of course, like when it comes up in, in customer support, as I mentioned uh, earlier, we record like feature requests in, in our product board or in our um, feature ideas board to be precise. And uh, we also ask people when they cancel, if it was because of a missing feature, and then hopefully they tell us uh, what that feature is. But um, so far, we don't really have a process about like having stats about what features get requested most. It's mostly, I think it's mostly based on gut feeling, um, because of course, some things come up more regular than others. And the more often you hear it, the more obvious it becomes that we should probably focus on that part next. Jane, anything else you want to add there? I guess one addition would be we pay a lot of attention to who is the feedback coming from. Because we have a pretty solid understanding based on both formal criteria and gut feeling who is a good fit for us. And once we find that business that kind of resonates uh, with that, we, we try to um, facilitate their feedback much more than anybody else's. Claire, the next question is probably good for you. So how did you decide what teams to onboard first and how did you structure the calls and the follow-ups? So Claire, you did the bulk of the original interviews and uh, worked with the early champions. So could you, could you give us uh, uh, some update how we do that? Yes. Uh, so, and by the way, again, if I leave gaps, um, jump in and please fill them in because now it feels like a while ago that 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 early research phase <laughs> happened. It doesn't just feel that way. It is a while ago. It was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think major props to the two of you, Jane and Benedict, for connecting me with founders in our space who, who we felt could be interesting fits um, or fits as early users. Um, so I was responsible for doing the initial round of research that would help us decide whether or not to move forward with user list at all. And in doing that, um, of course, I found a number of things. We did find patterns uh, within a. We, we did find patterns that indicated that user list was a, a viable um, product to work on. But of course, we also came across some founders who either had not reached they they um, they had not reached a point with their product yet at which they needed something like user list, or um, they simply. It could have been useful, but they just didn't feel a need for it. Um, what we did find was that in most cases, I'm trying to think back to those early users. In most cases, the um, the users we onboarded first who got the greatest amount of value were definitely not brand new founders. They weren't working on their first ever product. Um, so they were working on maybe their second product, or they were working on an improved version of an existing product that was going to need new infrastructure soon. And so that, that influenced the choice that we made. Um, other, other founders who were really excited about the idea of user list were either a bit too early on in their product development journey, or they hadn't felt a major need to update their existing product or change the infrastructure. So founders who were around that kind of inflection point um, became a priority for us. And then in terms of how we decided to onboard those teams, unsurprisingly, it was a very high touch process um, because, you know, these were kind of our, these were our crash course in figuring out what are the primary needs that we eventually want to solve for in a more automated way. So it was, you know, initial calls to kind of understand, 
you know, why are you not satisfied with the current whatever it is you're using, uh, the current way of, of communicating with your new user, with your existing users, whether that's a competitor tool or doing nothing or um, whatever other solution they, um, these, these early users were employing. And then what would, what, what would be required to help you feel successful um, in getting up to speed with a new tool, something like ours? Um, and we found that in a lot of cases, one of the biggest hurdles to getting started with something like UserList was simply having the communication content ready to send to um, the end users uh, of someone, of a founder who might use UserList. Um, so thankfully, that was an area I was able to, I guess, influence or, or be helpful within. Um, coming from a background in marketing and, and customer marketing and messaging specifically, um, I ended up creating a plug and play template, so to speak, of, of key messages that you might want to send your SaaS users throughout their life cycle. Creating that was a process of essentially working with some of our earliest users to draft their new customer communication manually. Um, and then we turned that into some blueprints for future users to, to speed up the process of not only onboarding into a customer communication tool, but also speed up the process of creating the, the communication that needed to be sent out in the first place. Did I cover all the key points? <laughs> oh, absolutely. That was a great answer. So we're going to link to the templates again in the, in the show notes. And it's been so long ago that I forgot that these templates actually originate in, um, in real life customer stories that we did by hand. Oh right. my God, that was like <laughs> a year and a half ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> We do have only a few minutes left for today, so we have a couple more questions. Let's uh, let's do them quick. And Benedict, this one's for you. Um, Michael uh, Thompson of Agile Extensions, he worries a lot about company accounts. He says that I do care about individual users, but my customers are teams. A list of users without the concept of organizations, like in Pipedrive, makes me hesitant to start a trial. So we do have an approach to that, Benedict why it's not still in place yet. <laughs> <laughs> we totally agree that this is a important feature, having the ability to group users together into companies, most likely, or teams. But there are a lot of implications on like how things work afterwards. Like what happens when users belong to two teams? How do, does the behavior of the user in one team affect the other team? Hopefully it doesn't, but maybe it does in some cases. And then just thinking about automated messaging, uh, what happens if the behavior of one user affects messages that another user should get? I guess there are a lot of open questions. So while we agree that it's an important feature and we definitely want to build a good solution there, I don't think we have a good idea on how to solve that problem yet. So it's something we'll be doing in the future, but it will probably still take some time and some deep thinking about how to approach this in a most sensible way. And I'm hoping when we do, then we'll have a lot more writing and examples on the topic because it's really like a lot of green grass there. Like not much marketing advice relates to group accounts and uh, and so on and so forth. So there is a lot to be said on the topic. We could, I could probably point everyone to the episode with the founder of Sherlock about understanding account level activity. So in case you want to explore more on that, welcome to give it a listen. The last question uh, is by Jean-Michel of Capian. It's a long one. I just I try to paraphrase it. So I think he's basically asking about um, 
how do we increase the chance that people reply to requests for feedback on our mailing list when we ask them, hey, how do you approach this or that? He says from his past experience, whenever he asks for feedback, he doesn't get a lot of replies. Even sending out manual emails, like not automated emails, usually doesn't get any any responses. Um, Jane, do you have a good tip for him? We've been practicing very genuine communication with our mailing list from the very beginning. And I think that's been our strong point, uh, you know, sharing honest updates. And yet we don't have a recipe and some of the updates will yield a lot of results while some of them won't. And it mostly, I guess, depends on the level uh, of the pain or the problem that we're talking about. So that that is basically the like, kind of key for their engagement. However, like the classic things you can do is to say like hit reply and others no is still better than none in the end of the email. Basically keeping the list warm is already uh, half of the success because people are used to what you're sending and that has much better chances of being responded to as opposed to sending them something uh, once every six months and hoping that they will respond. A tiny addition to um, best practices. You made a comment about how helpful it can be to include a call to action like, you know, hit reply and let us know when you're seeking feedback from customers. And while that might sound a bit, you know, silly or foundational to, to some people, it is surprisingly common that we overcomplicate what we're asking our users or our customers to do. Uh, so recently I was working with a, a client who was actually request, it, it was exactly this. He was requesting feedback from um, a segment of his list. And he had sent out an email requesting feedback, got very few responses. And he was like, do you have any, do you have any tips on this? Um, he's this very smart person. Um, <laughs> and so I took a look at his email and it was friendly. It, it explained why he was asking for feedback but the call to action was super unclear. He used something like, it, it was just, it was friendly, but very convoluted. Something like, you know, any thoughts on this? Or just, it, it didn't make it clear what the user was supposed to do. And so I said to him, you know, as goofy as this sounds, follow up with your users and make it very like dead simple. Use a sentence like, if you feel X way, or, or if you're open to giving feedback, hit reply with a quick sentence. And he did that and sure enough, got a significantly larger percentage of people responding. Sometimes it can be as simple as having someone else proofread the ask that you're making of those who are receiving your email, because you might be a bit too in your own head about it <laughs> and not be as clear as you think you're being in your communication. Yeah, in that regard, having founders helps and just optimizing everything you do for clarity is probably one of the biggest uh, overall business lessons that we could take away after these years. <laughs> right. Yeah. That relates to launching things, to writing updates. Uh, so everything it's best to optimize for a single call to action, clarity, and just helping the user find their way in a straightforward manner. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Benedict, Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a great conversation. If anyone would love to follow the story of UserList, head over to userless.io. That's where everything lives, the helpful information, the blog articles and everything else. In case people want to follow up with Benedict and Claire in person, where could people find your you know, social media and your own profiles online? The best way to 
keep in touch with me is on Twitter for sure. Um, it's really the only social media platform that I, I'm active on. Um, and my Twitter handle is uh, Claire Stolen. My name, my last name is a bit too long for a Twitter handle, but we'll have that in the show notes so you can find it there. So uh, if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter as at Benedict Dyker. Probably just go to the show notes, click the link there. Uh, easier than trying to spell it. So thanks again for your time today. And I hope our listeners enjoyed our little story and talk to you all next week. Thank you. Thank you for having us on, Jane. Bye, everyone. Bye.